The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, it's so good to be together again as we look at God's Word. This morning, we come to the end of the book of Daniel. We've spent several months in the book of Daniel. We've seen wars and rumors of war. We've seen Antiochus, Epiphanes, and we've seen the Antichrist and many persecutions against God's people. And the question for all of us is, how does the story end? Let's find out. Join me as we pray and ask the Lord for help. Father in heaven, we want to see you more clearly, and we want to hear you speak, and then we want to understand so that we might live differently in light of what you have revealed to Daniel for our joy, for our edification, for our strengthening, and for our hope. And so do all those things this morning by your word, through the power of your spirit, so that we might be more like Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you might know that uh, two weeks ago my family was out west in Yellowstone And we found ourselves 15 to 20 feet away from those fluffy cows they call bison. And we had just parked in Yellowstone National Park, gotten out of the car, and a big herd of bison had made their way by. And if you've ever been to Yellowstone, you know that the park rangers and all their pamphlets and brochures say, stay, you know, 75 to 100 feet away from these large animals because they can do some damage if they want to. Well, here we are about 15 to 20 feet away. It wasn't our fault because we just got out of the car. We just parked and they were almost maybe 10 feet away. And as they got closer, they got bigger. (laughs) These are big animals. And I said to my kids, hold my hands. Now, Holding my hands, if if this animal, you know, 1,000, 2,000 pounds, wanted to do some damage, wouldn't have done all that much. And yet, just instinctively, I felt like, hold my hands, and it brought maybe some measure of comfort. Maybe I can get them behind me. Maybe I could push them behind the car. Holding hands of someone larger than you sometimes can bring comfort. I wonder how many of our children this morning, our four and five and six-year-olds, holding the hand of your dad when something scary is comforting. Any hands? You're not listening. (laughs) I think so. Or sometimes, if you get a bad nightmare, you just want to crawl into mom and dad's bed, right? Or you want to sit in mom's lap when you've scraped your knee. It's comforting for a little hand to be placed into the bigger, stronger hand of a parent or a grandparent. We just feel that instinctively. And it's comforting for a parent to hold the small hand of a child when when you're walking across the street, knowing that they can't dart out ahead of you. 
And our passage this morning is a little bit like God reaching down his big, strong hand and taking Daniel's little hand into his and saying, Daniel, it's going to be okay. The book of Daniel ends on a note of hope. Daniel is not a little boy. He's an old man at this point. He's probably in his 80s. He still gets discouraged. He's scared about the future. Remember how chapter 10 began? He's been mourning and fasting for three weeks, concerned about the future, concerned about the people of God. And he's like, oh, what's going to happen? And God reaches down and takes his hand in his. Daniel is a lot like us, isn't he? We are scared and anxious about the future as well. We look at the war in Ukraine and Russia, and we think, how's that going to pan out? We feel uneasy about the state of our world, and we're anxious about persecution, worried about the state of our world and of the future. And in the midst of all that, I think in this passage, God reaches down and takes our hands and our hearts and our lives and says, it's going to be okay. So, if you'll recall, in The last two weeks, Professor Jared Compton and Pastor John Nallen helped us see these frightening visions and to make sense of them. There's the kings of the north and the kings of the south, and Israel is caught in the middle. And then there's going to be increasing persecution with Antiochus, which is now in our past, but then there's the Antichrist, which is still in our future. And and there's these stressors and persecution and suffering, and we're thinking, how is it all going to end? And that's what our passage shows us. Daniel ends on this note of hope so that Daniel would write it down, and we would be able to read it today, and that we would have hope. So our passage this morning gives us two main questions. Hopefully you saw them when Scott read the passage earlier. The first one comes in verse 6. Look with me there. It says, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Daniel isn't asking how long till these things happen, but when they happen, how long will they last? How long will these persecutions from the Antichrist last? So that's the first question. How long? The second question shows up in verse 8. It says, What shall be the outcome of these things? In other words, With all the persecution, with all the suffering against God's people, all the opposition, what's going to happen? What's the result? What's the outcome that's going to take place? So our plan this morning is to walk through this passage and look at these two main questions and the answers that God gives. And as we look at the answers, I think we get a sense of the main point and the aim and of how we're to apply this text So look with me at verses five and six. Here's how it begins. It says, then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So rewind back with me, back to chapter 10. Daniel was mourning and fasting. He was standing on the bank of the Tigris River. And here he is once again, bringing us back to that moment. And he says, I saw one guy standing on one side, one guy standing another. And then the man in linen that I saw earlier floating above the waters. 
And someone says to him, it doesn't tell us who. So it's likely that these are angels, one on each side, and then this angelic divine messenger floating in the middle. And someone says to him, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So it's probably one of the angels asking. There are things that angels don't even know or see that they look into, long to look into. And here we get the answer in verse 7. Look with me there. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the people of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. The shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things would be finished. So in Deuteronomy 32, 40, it speaks of when you raise your hand, it's like making an oath with God, a solemn oath. And so there's this picture of this man with two arms raised, verifying all that I'm going to say is true. Before God, it's like when you're in a courtroom, right? Raise your right hand, place your other hand on the Bible, and you swear that I will tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And that's what this man is doing. And what's the answer? He says, a time, times, and half a time. Okay, we saw that earlier in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 25. And it referred to the Antichrist wearing out the saints of God. Prevailing against them. And it was, how long is that going to be? Where, where the saints will be prevailed against. It's going to be for a time, times, and half a time. And remember what we said there that that could either literally be three and a half years, time being a year, times two years, and then half a time, three and a half years. Or symbolically, I think this is what it's saying, it's that it's a relatively short period of time. It's half of seven, which is the complete period of time. Remember, as we looked throughout Daniel 7 through 12, when Daniel wants to use a long period of time, what number does he use? Seven. Seventy. Seventy-sevens, 490. He, he uses seven to convey the complete period of time. And then when he wants to convey a short period of time, he says times, times, half a time. Relatively short in comparison to seven. And so the angel tells Daniel that the persecutions at the hands of the Antichrist will be brief or short-lived. The answer also indicates that it would end when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. All these things would be finished. Now, what's that? Well, the holy people are God's people, and it's the shattering of the power. It means that God's people would appear to be shattered, appear to be destroyed. Their backs against the ropes. And it's at that point, God will come in and rescue his people. So the angel answers the question of how long with the answer of not long, not long. The persecutions against God's people, the suffering of God's people will not be for long. So there's something both frightening and comforting about this passage, isn't there? There's this idea of, well, persecution and suffering will come for God's people. Paul wrote, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
He didn't say those that are exceptionally godly or those that live in certain countries. He said all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So suffering persecution for Christians as we walk out faithfully is normal and not abnormal, brothers and sisters. We can be as winsome as possible, but still be hated as disciples of Jesus. Jesus himself said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, even revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the son of man. When people hate you for the name of Jesus, for identifying with me, you are blessed. And so it's frightening at one level, but it's also comforting. Because if you're facing any persecution, any suffering, any maligning for being a disciple of Christ, anyone giving you the stink eye, anyone not liking you, it's because you're in Christ. You're counted worthy to suffer with Jesus we are truly his disciples. And persecution is not the final note. This leads us to our second question. This time, it comes from Daniel. Look with me at verses 8 to 12. Verse 8 says, I heard, this is Daniel speaking, I heard, but I did not understand. Some of you are like, yes, exactly. That's how I feel about the book of Daniel. You know, 7 through 12 at least, maybe. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Now, we know that there, there's a reason why Daniel didn't understand a lot of this. This was apocalyptic, prophetic literature that was looking forward to the end of time and to his future when he would long be dead and a lot of these things, like the things that we saw of the kings of the north and kings of the south, wouldn't make sense until you were looking backwards. When you were looking ahead, you were like, I don't know what this means. And so there's some of that for us even this morning. Some of it is before us, and we don't know exactly what all the details mean. And yet, Daniel says, he wants to know more. What shall be the outcome of these things? I think he's not only referring to all the things that came in chapter 11 in terms of all the persecution, but I think he's referring specifically to the activities of the Antichrist. What's the result of this persecution and even the shattering of the people of God? Do God's people get destroyed? What happens? Well, it's a very natural question, isn't it? It's one that we often ask when we're experiencing suffering. What's the first question that comes when suffering comes? Why, God? Why am I going through that? Why is this happening to me? Why? What are you doing through this? What's going on? We're, we're, we're just like Daniel. What's the purpose or meaning behind my suffering? Why am I experiencing such pain? What might God be accomplishing through this hardship? I think there's an answer for us this morning to all those questions. Look with me at verse 9. The divine messenger says to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now, let me just pause here and talk about this phrase, go your way. I think this suggests that Daniel should go on about his life and not be overly concerned that he doesn't understand the vision. 
what, what the messenger is trying to say is, this vision's it, it's, it's for you, Daniel, but it's really for those that need it in the future. It's been shut up and sealed. Others are going to open it, and they're going to read of it, and they're going to look back, and they'll be like, oh, it's unfolding exactly the way God said, like we've been doing throughout this series. It's preserved for those who are going to need it in the time of the end. Now, I want the kids especially, but adults too. How many times did you see the word end here in this passage? I titled this sermon, The End, because I think it's talking about the end. But it's also the most repeated word throughout this section. All the way back in verse 4, which Pastor John looked at, Daniel's to seal the book until the time of the end end. Verse 6, someone says, how long will the persecution last? And it says, till the end. Verse 7, the people, the answer comes when the power of the holy people is shattered, it will come to an end. Verse 9, the words of the vision are sealed up until the time of the end. Verse 13, Daniel is again told to go his way till the end, and he shall rest and stand in his place at the end of days. Six occurrences of this word. So what do you think God wants Daniel to understand? He wants him to understand, I am in control of the end. I'm in control of the end of the story. I'm in control of the end of the world. I'm in control of the end of time. Daniel, don't worry about all that is before you. I am God. I'm in control of it all. You can rest because I hold the end. Go your way, Daniel, could be rephrased for our modern ears as I got this. I got this, Daniel. I have it under control. And very often we are like Daniel, aren't we? We say, God, I want a detailed explanation, an itemized list of why I am suffering the way that I am suffering. Let me know what it's producing, what it's producing in my family, who's going to get saved because I am experiencing all of this pain and suffering. We want explanations. We want specifics. We want more details. God, I want to know, right? Whenever we go through hardships, why? And we ask the questions, And God says, I got this. Go your way. It's a little bit like Peter in John 21. Do you guys remember Peter and Jesus, their conversation? This is after Jesus' resurrection. He just cooked them fish for breakfast. They come and they're talking. And Jesus restores Peter. It's a beautiful scene. And then Jesus tells Peter, I think it's a comforting word where he says, in those last days, you're going to stretch out your arms and people are going to lead you where you don't want to go, meaning that you're going to be crucified for me because of your allegiance to me. And, and Peter, you remember, is the outspoken brash one where he said, I'll even die for you. And then he denies Jesus three different times. And so now Jesus is reassuring him, saying, you will actually follow through on that very intention, which brings comfort. But then Peter all of a sudden is kind of confronted with, oh, I'm going to get crucified with Jesus. And he looks over and sees John and he says, well, what about that guy? What about the one you love? Like, what's going to happen to him? If I'm going to get crucified, does he get crucified? Does he get his head chopped off? Like, it'd be good to know, you know? Like, if I'm going to suffer so much, it'd be good to know how other people are suffering around me. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, you follow me. 
Why are you so concerned about everything else around you? You are to follow me in the path of faithfulness. Follow me. That's all you have to worry about. Don't worry about what other people around you are doing. Keep your eyes on me, Peter. You're called to follow me in the path of faithfulness today. I think that's a good word for many of us. Some of us want to know what's going to happen with Ukraine and Russia. What's going to happen with China? What's going to happen with North Korea and their hypersonic missiles? What's going to happen for my children? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen with our culture? And so on and so forth. Or perhaps we're charting out these end times, you know, pulling out our calculator, trying to figure out all the dates. I think it's going to be in, you know, exactly this year. And what God wants to say to many of us this morning is go your way. I got this. Be faithful with what you've been given. Be faithful. You've been given some responsibilities. You've been given some tasks. You've been given some influence and authority. Be faithful with what I have given you and revealed to you already. Let let me keep moving. I need to move more quickly. Um, Look at verse 10. He does give him a partial answer. It's not just a non-answer. Go your way. I got this. But he gives him an answer. Verse 10. This is the kindness of the Lord. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. So the first thing we see is that there is indeed a positive outcome of persecution and suffering for God's people. And it results in purification and cleansing. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. This is the same language that was used in Daniel chapter 11 verse 35 that says that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. So what he's saying is, even in the midst of all the persecutions that come against God's people, even with the Antichrist raging against God's people, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be like gold that is refined by the fire so that the dross is swept away. God's people will be refined by suffering and persecution, both under Antiochus and the Antichrist. I'm doing a work here. What they mean for evil to undo you of your faith, I am going to use to make you more like me so that you would experience more of my grace, experience more of my comfort, see more of my glory. James, in James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, Whenever you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of us want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? Me. Yes. And then, oh, it comes by the way of various trials. God's doing a work, brothers and sisters. Whatever you might be feeling, whatever you might be facing, God has not lost control. He is not ignorant. He is using it 
for your good, for the good of his church. And we are being purified so that we would be perfect and complete. When God's people experience trials, it tests our faith, right? And then we cleave to Jesus more tightly and his promises that tell us, I got this. And so we exercise our muscles of trust and faith. And some of you are sore from exercising those muscles. Or some of you have just gotten your first workout. You found out you were freshly unemployed. Or there's a new trial that you have not anticipated. Or a diagnosis that you did not want. And God is teaching you to trust him in it. Just like we build muscles, right? We have these microscopic tears so that our body rebuilds stronger. And the good news is that God is the one who oversees this work in our lives. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says to us, I got this. I'm at work in you for my glory. The passage says the wicked will continue in their wickedness. The wise will understand, but the wicked will not. And so this is just confirmation of what is written in 2 Timothy 3.12, that there will be evil people and impostors who will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There will be people in the world who will look at the signs of the times and say, I don't care. The wicked will continue. But the people of God, we see the writing on the wall. We see the signs of the times. And what do we do? We cleave more closely to Jesus because he's got this. He is sufficient. Now, look, at, look with me at verses 11 and 12. He gives us a few more final details before he closes of the end of time. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So, What does that mean? These two sets of days we have in this passage are not entirely clear. So if you do 30 days in a month and you do three and a half years, you get 1,260. This is 30 more than that. And then you get 45 more than this. There's lots of speculation and guesses. And I could give you some of those, but I just think our time is better spent in looking elsewhere. I think it mainly means this. It refers to time periods in the distant future that related to the rise of the Antichrist figure who will persecute God's people. And it's going to last for a short period of time, maybe three and a half years, maybe exactly 1,260 or 90 days. But the main emphasis is that the fierce persecution will last for a time. And as God's people persevere through it, we'll get to the other side. And we will persevere because of God's grace. And we will be blessed for having persevered and arriving on the other side of the persecution of the Antichrist. Martin Luther writes this about these dates. He says, Daniel concludes the record of his terrifying visions and dreams on a note of joy, namely with the coming of Christ's eternal reign of glory. He says, whoever wants to study them profitably dare not focus his attention on the details of the visions and dreams, but will find comfort in the Savior, Jesus Christ, whom they portray and the deliverance that he brings from sin and its misery. I think that's a good word. 
Yes, there are visions and dreams and dates, and we can understand some of them, and there are some of them that still remain a mystery, but the clear and obvious message of this text is that the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father looks upon his people, takes his hand in theirs, and says, I got this! I am in control of all things. You do not need to fret. You do not need to worry. I am for you. And I've got you. I will not let you go. God's people will indeed persevere to the very end. Because God cannot fail his people. So the main point of our passage is this. Kids, you're supposed to write this down. The main point of our passage is this, that God holds the future in his perfect and steady hands. Or you can write, I got this, or God's got this. God holds the future in his perfect and steady hands. God does not drop the ball. He doesn't fumble the world. He does not wonder, like many of us, did I leave the oven on this morning? And where are my keys? God doesn't slip and fall. He doesn't forget about his people. He doesn't make any mistakes. This passage is comforting when we back up to see the big picture that God is the one foretelling the future because he's the one who ordains the future, controls the future, and causes it to come to pass for good. He's ordained the trial, scheduled the deliverance, even the rescue, and he controls our future. So the first question was, how long? And the answer, not long, not long, Daniel. And the second question, what's the result? What's going to come about? And it's good news. It's going to be the perseverance and the purification of God's people. Even the wicked schemes of evil, God sits in the heavens and laughs and says, I'm going to use it to make my children look even more glorious and beautiful. He gives us a final word of assurance, gives Daniel a final word of assurance, which is also for us in verse 13. It says this, look with me, but go your way. He repeats that again. Go your way. Don't worry, Daniel, till the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. This is a really encouraging sentence to close off the book. I don't know if you see it, He says, go your way again. Daniel, you don't have full and complete understanding. But he's saying, but you don't need it. I've given you enough for you to live in following me, to trust me in the days ahead. So go your way because God holds the future in his hands. And then he says, rest, right? You shall rest. When he says rest, he means die. You shall rest in the grave or rest from your labors. But then you're going to die. You're an old man. It's okay that you don't know at all. I know you're concerned about my people. You can die because I will never die and I'm in control. And then he says, but you will stand. You will rise. You will be resurrected and you will get your allotted inheritance and reward in the kingdom of God at the end of the days. And so Daniel, remember, he got exiled at 13, 14 or 15 from the land, the promised land, and he's lived his entire life in exile, distant from God's promised land. And he's saying, when will we return? When are God's people going to be restored? And God says, not in this life. 
but in the one to come. And you will get your inheritance. Don't worry. If you look back at the passage Pastor John looked at last week in Daniel 12, 2 and 3, there are those who will sleep, rest, and then who will awake to everlasting life and shine like the brightness of the sky above and like the stars forever and ever. That is what is promised to all of God's people. I've never wanted to sparkle in my life, but this, I'll take it. He says, you're going to shine like the stars in the sky. What an incredible thing to say about God's people. Glory will just emanate from us when we dwell with our Father in heaven. The final word to Daniel is to leave the future in God's good, gracious, and sovereign hands. So the aim of this book has been to reassure, the aim of this epilogue and this book is to reassure and encourage God's people that God is still sovereign. He's still seated on his throne. God holds the future in his perfect and steady hands. And the question is then, how can we have confidence about this? Well, we can read the book of Daniel, and you can see the rubble throughout history, throughout the pages of history of Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome, and said God did it exactly the way he said he would. He's true to his word. He's going to be true to his word in the future. And yet there are things still in Daniel that have not yet come to pass. But I think we have greater confidence when we look at Jesus. Daniel was a man just like us, a sinner in need of a savior. But he was promised that you will receive your inheritance. Why could God do that? Because he would send one who would pay for Daniel's sins and pay for our sins. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world so that he might rescue us, take our sins upon his flesh, die on the cross for us, forgiving us of our iniquities and wickedness and giving us everlasting life. Jesus came to fulfill these promises and he came to guarantee our inheritance and everlasting life. Jesus fulfilled all of the promises made to Daniel and Jesus says likewise, I got this. He puts it this way in John. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In the same way that Antichrist can't get you, I'm gonna use it for your purification and cleansing and perseverance. Jesus says, if they're in my hand, no one can take them out of it. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Who holds us this morning? The Lord Jesus Christ and God, the father, the ancient of days, almighty. So our hope is guaranteed by Christ so we can persevere. So Daniel ends on a note of hope. The sovereignty that we've seen throughout this series continues until the day we die, until the end of days. He's working all things together for good, for the good of his people, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you're this morning wondering about the future, wondering about next week, how do I pay my bills? What's going on in the world? What's going on in our culture? What's going on at work? Hear the loving words of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I got this. I'm for you. Go your way. You don't have to worry. Some of us are really detail-oriented. We like to plan everything, you know? If others would give us authority, we would plan their lives. And we would plan how the church goes and how culture goes. We would just plan everything. And, and some of us just need to let go because God is the one who unfolds all those things for your good, for your joy, for his glory. You wouldn't plan it the way he plans it. And his plans are good. So, brothers and sisters, you can trust God. You can entrust your hand to him. You can entrust your heart to him. And you can entrust your entire life to him. Some of you are even near the end of your days. You're like Daniel. And you're worried about the future. And he says, go your way. You're going to rest. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And you will rise. Oh, and you will shine. Never wanted to sparkle, but you will shine like the glory of the stars in the sky. Let me close by rehearsing all the reasons, not all the reasons, some of the reasons we can trust God from the book of Daniel as we close this book. You don't have to take notes on any of this. Just listen. I'm just going to rehearse from beginning to end why God is faithful, why he's worthy of our trust. Even if tears run freely, your heart breaks, trials seem overwhelming, you feel like you're being bashed against the rocks, God's faithful. You can trust him this morning, brothers and sisters. He is the God in control of the exile of God's people from Daniel 1, even as the youth of Israel are getting carried off into Babylon. He is the God who gives favor to his people, in particular Daniel and his three friends, so that they get favor and compassion and wisdom. He is the God who oversees dreams and visions, and he's the revealer of mysteries so that Daniel could stand in the court and tell him exactly what he dreamed and the interpretation. He is the God who sets up and tears down kings and kingdoms and who will set up a kingdom that will never end, never be destroyed through his son, Jesus. He is the God who rescues his people from the fiery furnace because they would not defile themselves and bow before the false gods of their day. And God will do that for us when we refuse to bow down before the false gods of our day. He will rescue his people from the fiery furnace. He is the God who deserves all praise and glory and honor for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he got a pagan king to write those very words. He is the God who is able to humble those who walk in pride, whether that's Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or anyone else today who lifts up their arm in pride and shakes their fist at God, he will humble them. He is the God who is able, who gives the writing on the wall and then causes it to come to pass. He is the God who delivers his people from the lion's den to show that he is a strong deliverer and rescuer of his faithful ones. 
Anyone need a rescuer or a deliverer? We have one in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ancient of days who in the final days will give all dominion and glory and authority and honor and hand it over to his son, the son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his kingdom will never come to an end. He is the God who sovereignly rules over Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome and Russia, and Ukraine, and China, and North Korea, and Canada, and the United States, and all of their respective kings and kingdoms. There is no one outside of his reach. He is the God who hears the corporate confession of his people when we cry out for mercy, and he answers us according to his bounding grace in Christ Jesus forgiving our iniquities and revealing his love. He is the God who sends angels to reveal truth and to call his servants my beloved ones. You are beloved of God. He is the God who will decisively destroy the Antichrist so that he cannot persecute God's people any longer. When he rises up in those final days, God will strike him down once and for all. He is the God who will give his people everlasting life, cause them to shine like the brightness of the sky and the, the stars forever and ever. And he's the God who holds the future in his strong and steady, and trustworthy, sovereign hands. You have a good God, brothers and sisters. And lastly, he's the God who hears every prayer, answers every authentic cry for help, receives every sinner who believes in him, and guarantees the salvation, the perseverance, the purification of all those who come to him. And so this morning, if you're outside of Christ, We plead with you, turn to Jesus in faith. Where else will you go? Who else is trustworthy and loving and good like Jesus? Let's pray. Father, cause your word to come alive in our hearts so that we would treasure Christ more fully. We want Jesus to be magnified and glorified in all things. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.